Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to a very special episode. This is what we call the 1982 season finale, end of the year, where we decide everything. Gentlemen, what's that title? At 1982, end of the year, where we once and for all decide the most unpredictable night in Hollywood, Ryan. Part one. Part one. It's more predictable for me. I've already seen all the answers to everything, but you guys have no idea what's going on. The most predictable (laughs) night in Hollywood, Ryan. If you're Ryan. The press has no idea what's going to happen. Um, So yeah, it's going to be a crazy night. Are you guys excited? I'm so excited because I could barely tell you what of the 80 movies we watched count for tonight. Yes, yeah, I know. It's get, it does get confusing with the bonus episodes when some of the best movies we've seen can only win the, what are they called? The Moody's. The Moody's. The sweet Moody's, which everybody is hoping to take home at the end of the day. My name is Ryan, and this will be the final time I host for a long time. Wow. Mike, I'm going to hand the torch to you pretty soon. Are it's you ready? Like probably 2024 is the next time they'll hear your host something. Probably something like that. Do we? Are, how committed are we to the torch that the, the host has to hold the torch? I mean, I've got my mic in one hand and a torch in the other. Yeah. Like I said, your mic hand, that arm looks fine, but your torch hand is ripped oh, yeah. to shit. That's also my torch hand. Yeah. Well, that's why. Um... Okay, so we have two jobs tonight. One, we're going to decide once and for all what is the single greatest movie of 1982. Two, we are going to give out the awards. They are called the Moody's. We've got 10 of them. We're going to be giving them out all night. But all night? All night long. All night. But Should we guess? Should we guess what we think is going to win? No, don't do that. Okay. Do that after the show. Okay. Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> um, what did we, let's just talk about the year in general. Um, what what do we think about the films of 1982? Not necessarily quality wise, but what's on their mind that we didn't really think about before we started the season? Too much stuff. That 1982 movies were. I think we were really just getting into the consumer consumerism of the 80s enough to where we were like, "Whoa, this is pretty intense." And so the movies just have like an absolute avalanche of stuff mm-hmm. it feels like coming out of every just doorway the thesis is there's a lot going on man yeah totally yeah <laughs> I, I i do think a thing we've felt like was like avengers love it doesn't have anything to say about humanity but the big and not from 1982 not from no but i want to but eligible okay. to win uh but i will say our we what's cool is we have the big blockbustery movies it feels like more than usual in the, our top 8 and they all have something to say yeah Even they're if like their genre or maybe especially because of the I think especially, yeah. And at a certain point, people went, nah, people don't want their art to say shit, though, right? Also, uh, 82 is very much movies being like, "Star, you guys, Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars happened. <laughs> and like, We all have to do Yeah, that. and we all have to come to terms with it. This is also, <clears throat> excuse me, this is also the time where we start to swing back around from New Hollywood into, actually, we like blockbusters and Hollywood and the way things used to go. Uh, it's harder for uh, directors that own the 70s to get their movies made. Um, people don't want to deal with them anymore. They're, they're baby, shit baby attitudes. Yeah, did they like, were they going for them? Like, we're going to break the back of these like powerful directors? I mean, basically on what I've read, that they had to put up with them because they were making money. Once that money slipped like 5%, they were making 5% less than they were. They were like, all right, fuck these motherfuckers. Yeah. And it was definitely revenge. Like, the studios had all the power. And then the directors had all the power, and that's not something that studios are typically into. Systems aren't fans when individuals stop listening to systems. And that's why we get some crazy, uh, I don't know, creative crazy things. I don't know which word I was going to say. Like Poltergeist of who the fuck made this movie? You yes. know? like I think there's a lot of that going on. Were you guys surprised that there was so much commentary about the 80s in 
1982. Like, yeah, like it was. The 80s were barely a decade, and they're already like, we got some stuff to say. Kind of a short cycle, <laughs> yeah. Which means that that's not true. We just, what we think of 80s commentary, that it means really it was going on in the commentary. 70s as well. But yeah, because, because of how pop culture informs what we think of, right? We're like, it was cocaine and neon and rollerblading and. That was more than '90s, yeah. and so this this dark, especially the rollerblading, grim. Oh man, we were all just rollerblading our little <laughs> hearts out in the '90s. Doing neon cocaine and rollerblading. Ooh, uh, but, so yeah, the, the the dark, grim, like oh man, capitalism. Uh, we're fighting against the Wall Street. It's it's just been always. It's just been always. Yeah, it's not just the '70s, but the '60s, '50s. I could go on. '40s, for instance. It's always been there. And I think there is something particular about that happening to the movies because I feel like. They felt it again because of Star Wars, and uh, like if you just watch E.T. Uh, and Poltergeist, they will have a lot of conspicuous Star Wars imagery in them. I mean, like that Star Wars toys are like falling out of kids' like <laughs> cabinets and stuff like that. Their mouths, in Fall- yeah. <laughs> Two movies out of our Elite Eight are filled with Star Wars. Yeah, and the idea in both cases seems to be like this shit is just everywhere and it's inescapable. And so I think that I think movies might have felt it earlier because they felt it as a direct result of George Lucas creating commercial the movie. (laughs) (laughs) What's weird too is I think although New Hollywood is over and the studios are taking over, it's still sort of before everything needs to be franchised. So there was still some freedom of like, you have to do it the Hollywood way again. We're not doing it that independent shit that you want to. But we're not, we don't know yet to be super concerned with Four quadrants. Sequelizing everything, yeah, and making sure that everybody can come watch every movie. Um, You could sort of have your own standalone movie. And we see this when we look at the box office of really any year up until, like, the mid-'90s, where it's all these movies, standalone movies for adults, you know, that that's what was popular. And so we're still, even though it's getting more commercial again, it's not all about how do we sequel the fuck out of this, Mm -hmm. which I really appreciate, because if I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, as as a diehard... Star Wars fan, MCU fan, diehard fan. Um, it's so hard to not just be distracted by, oh, you're setting up this story, and oh, this is for, you know, this is going to go after the credits. We're right. still free of that. Yeah, it feels like everything we watch nowadays, it feels like there's at least one scene where it's like, and eh, this might become something. Thor this might it be its own show. What I like is like, so Blade Runner, there is reference to Alien in it, but it doesn't zoom in and the music does yeah. a real quick like alien medley thing and then it moves on so the people know. You just see it in the background and so the super dorks are like, oh, that's yeah. cool. And let's move on. Where, yeah, not... That's all, an Easter egg. All mainstream people were the super dorks like we have now. Yeah. I've also always felt about that in particular like, does that really mean they're in the same universe because they share like company names across movies? There's so many people are like, these are in the same universe. And really all it is is, isn't one an illusion to the other? Like, yeah. I mean, look at all the Pixar movies, how every Pixar movie has a tiny toy in the background right. that's from the next movie. Uh-huh. They're not all, shut up. They're like, just the animators fucking around. And uh, if you notice, they like to put a little bit of the gay agenda mm-hmm. in each movie. I do notice that because of how gay I am because of Pixar movies. Yeah. Like, they tricked me into being like that. <laughs> yeah, you used to be s- just so butch. Stick straight. <laughs> we, yeah, dude. We used to be really, like, very manly men. Can I give a quick PSA, Ryan? Sure. Uh, we are in the dog days of summer that is now late September because uh-huh. climate change. Uh, mm-hmm. So we are recording a very special outdoor episode. So yes. you will hear mosquitoes a buzzing. You might hear motorcycles a humming. We yeah. are in the pop filter studios veranda. Yes. It's lovely. 
uh, you will hear the beast from Nope breathing every once in a while <laughs> right behind Greg. I get that reference. I get that. <laughs> uh, I might be able to tie that down. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to find out what other movies Greg has seen recently so we know we can <laughs> reference those. And when we come back, we're going to make it so uh, a movie is gone. Gentlemen, round one, battle one. It is Blade Runner, which I would say Already. is an attempt to maybe Star Wars, but it didn't work because it had so much, so many different things on its mind than Star Wars, right? Now, I'm not saying one is better than the other, but they, they, uh, he, Ridley Scott, was out to not like be forced to do all the shit that Star Wars had to do with the toys and the spinoffs. Mm-hmm. And what that- if Han Solo really liked droids? And <laughs> narrated. I think that's what we all wanted. <laughs> It's going up against our number eight seed, Tootsie. I am so glad that we got to watch Tootsie. Yes. It's been one of those posters for years. It's reputation for years. It was it was a phenomenal film. A good time in the movies. It Very was entertaining. Thinker, m- more woke than we would have thought. Incredible performances. There's like three. When we were doing the awards, there were three or four duos mm-hmm. in that movie. And it made it really hard to choose best duo just yeah. from that movie. You it's know what duo was missing? Spoiler, Tootsie, and what's his name? Michael. What's mm. Dustin Hoffman's name as Dustin Hoffman? Michael. Michael. Oh, okay. Like in a scene yeah. where he's like looking in the mirror. Yeah, they never went back and forth like that, and I think that's why the movie ultimately is getting kicked out right now. <laughs> I think, Mike, that you hit the biggest thing on the head is that when we go back to somewhere like 1982 or even 2012. We're worried about all of the cringy stuff because of how culture has changed. And with a movie with this premise, it's double scary. Like, I remember finishing the bracket at the beginning of the season and being like, Tootsie, oh, no. Oh, no. What what are we actually in for? And the first viewing of it, because we tend to watch the movies a couple times before we podcast about them, but the first viewing was a lot of, like, bracing myself at different moments. Like, oh, here we go. But man, it's a it is a it is a gentle, compassionate movie, and it, that doesn't mean it's perfect. But honestly, I think we've had way worse things to say about way more modern well, movies. Th- there definitely is a reaction. Again, I would not think of '80s as a progressive era, but no. th- there's such a swing, like it's it's pulling, 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 and then it just launches. And then when I think of like a 2000s movie that does something similarish, only dudes dressing up as women to get what they want, Sorority Boys. Uh, I don't think I think that's the name of the movie. It's Michael yeah. Rosenbaum, Barry. What's his face from Seventh Heaven? Like Kitson. that is atrocious. Like do not go, do not do what I did. Do not go back and watch <laughs> Sorority Boys. And Harlan Williams, right? Okay, he's so much older than I, that's weird. <laughs> I did feel like in Tootsie there was a little bit of the message, just like women. You just gotta, you just gotta pick Look yourself up, up yeah. and dust yourself off, and just Nuck stop. Put, grow a dick and <laughs> stop putting up with the male patriarchy. Just stop putting up with it. Yeah, because there was a lot where. So much shit went down until this one particular woman mm-hmm. got just there. raised her voice yeah. and stood up for herself. But and that it's woman like, did have oh, a penis. So, okay, yeah. like I, I don't think the problem has been that women don't advocate for themselves. I think that there's something else going on. But the other thing that I thought about that, while watching it, and this is something that I legitimately miss because I think this is gone forever. Is there's this there's a type of humor where maybe you'll laugh. 10 times out loud during the movie, which is like a phenomenal number. Yeah. But you're also smiling at a billion more punchlines. Mm-hmm. And that smile, because you're watching it alone, would absolutely translate to guffaws in a crowded theater. Right. And that's why this movie took the world by storm, is yeah. I can just picture sold out audiences just going fucking nuts for this movie. 
Yeah, I could see it being the kind of movie where you miss some of the jokes because people laugh so hard. And that's just so off. The, like a comedy like this, not, I'm, not even the premise, just the style of humor will never open in theaters again. Well, it, I mean, there, there's right there's physical comedy, there's banter, there's like hard jokes, like where characters know they're telling jokes, like they really do it all, and it does not feel. It's not Ryan Reynolds being like tortillas, right? Mm. Still it's a, a good point, though. I mean, I yes, never tortillas. even thought about tortillas, right? <laughs> Um, I do want to talk about this other movie. Blade Runner? Another movie? Blade Runner. Oh. Blade Runner is the number one seed. Uh, let me ask you this. It's been months since we did the bracket. Yeah. Does it surprise that Blade Runner is the number one seed? No. No, especially, and I said this on the Blade Runner, I was like, I did not see Blade Runner till I was an adult, and rewatching it, and rewatching the good, the real version without narration is the way to do it. And being able to, like, I, this is so hard because there's a billion hours of everything to watch, but... I think sometimes if something has a reputation and you watch it and hate it, give it some time and watch it again. I know you yeah. won't, listeners. I know you won't. But give us time and watch again because I think you need that sometimes. I absolutely, and I was young. I was not an adult, but I absolutely thought it was boring garbage the first time I watched it. Uh, I, can't, I couldn't tell you which version I saw, but I do know that I was a Leonard Malton acolyte. And so there's still, like I had every year I had that giant book of 10,000 reviews of like a hundred words and there's still movies that i don't like and i don't know why and it's because leonard malton didn't like them and i read it when i was eight um i think at this point i've seen every blade runner version wow i i mean there's three majors yeah, right yeah um so yeah i think when they came out and it, it, the, if i loved the movie the first time i wouldn't have right you know i haven't seen all the brazil versions mm-hmm. um but because i thought it was really lumpy and dumb um I kept trying to find it, and it's. I don't think the ver- the different versions are a part of why I liked it more and more. But I was looking for that Star Wars thing, uh-huh. so I was doing that thing where because this isn't Star Wars, because it's not the thing I want right now, it's therefore bad. And so it took me. I saw it when I was a kid, but sort of like you, Mike. It wasn't until I was an adult where I was like, okay, Blade Runner. In 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 the way that they don't make Tootsie movies, Tootsie type movies anymore. Do you think can a Blade Runner come out? And I don't mean twenty forty nine, like a thoughtful adult genre film does that exist it's possible i mean ex machina i mean i, I okay. yeah I, like i i would say anything from him right yeah, it is Alex probably gonna, yeah. yeah except yeah. they're not hits though like annihilation was a bomb men was a tremendous bomb oh yeah um he's not guaranteed for money making but he or tickets sold but he is guaranteed for even Quality. if you hate it it will make you talk and think um the other one i was thinking of i don't know if this Backs up what you're saying, Mike, because it was started as a franchise. It's IP that everyone has heard of, if not knows. But Dune is, I think, how popular Dune was was a bit of a surprise to people because there's not a Chris in it. There's not this connection to brighter IP. Right. Timothy Chalamet is the biggest star despite his vacuum of charisma, and it's (laughs) mind-blowing to the world. (laughs) And there's so much left in Dune yeah. to do and to talk about, but the world, the world is going to render its judgment when the second part of this first movie comes out. Because the, I know Mike, you didn't love the first, mm-hmm. the the part one of this movie. Part two is not going to make a lot of people happy. The yeah. the story kind of doesn't go great, and so like I wonder how much life is going to be left in the but in the property. I will say, as much as you know, Dune was much more recent than Blade Runner because it was this year, last year, last when year, it came yeah. out. Uh, I will watch the second one probably in theaters because of now I think Blade Runner has helped me rethink that kind of stuff. And especially because 
a movie can be so many things, and I'll say visually and sonically, I really liked Dune. Yeah. Uh, mostly because everybody fucking whispered while the sound was like... You literally, so, you couldn't tell what people were saying, right? Because uh, I watched it at home with subtitles. subtitles yeah. <laughs> uh, but so just as like a visual and aural art experience, I enjoyed it. As a story, it was dog shit. Uh, so I'll see the next one and probably rewatch that one. I think it's going to be a tremendous hit because... You know that Villeneuve has talked that studio into like you. You guys, there's no pandemic anymore, according to Joe Biden. There's no way that you guys are releasing this streaming and theaters at the same time. Mm-hmm. So the only way you're going to be able to see the second part of this movie that everybody watches in theaters, it's going to fucking it blow the doors off. As long as there's more of that Sadukar priest guy going, "Wow, yeah, yeah, I'm in, man. I just want an extended scene with that dude." Why don't more folks talk like a didgeridoo? <laughs> All right, gentlemen, Blade Runner versus Tootsie. One of them has to go home. We each get a vote, only one vote. Nobody knows what's going to happen right now because, as Greg said, this is the most unpredictable, <laughs> most <laughs> unpredictable night in Hollywood, in, Ryan. In entertainment. Mike, where are you going here? It's Is this every year where the first battle and every battle, therefore, feels really difficult? Uh, I love Tootsie. Tootsie can kick rocks right now. I have to say, it's... Um, it's not as much, it's nowhere near as much of a slam dunk as I would have said at the beginning, like when we set the bracket. Like, Tootsie probably rose the most in my esteem. Just, I had never seen it before, but I was just guessing. Watching the movie, yeah. Yeah. So, Skyrockets in esteem. But, uh, if it's lucky. And Blade Runner probably was the one that, like, only rose in my esteem a little bit because I already liked it so much. But even having said that, it's not, it's not very close. I, okay. This is not a slam dunk for me at all. And,. As as much as I've grown to appreciate Blade Runner more and more over the years, to the point where I think it's great, not that I like turned and said like, okay, it's average, guys. It, I do believe it's great. Um, I think Tootsie is so good and does so many things well, and I'm I'm nervous that my vote is doing that thing of like Blade Runner is clearly more important and influential, mm-hmm. and Tootsie's a comedy, and therefore that makes the vote easy. That you. Do not respect comedies. You can't. And you have to respect influential things that everybody likes. And it, that is so... I mean, like just to be like upfront about it, that is so much harder than it seems. Yeah. Like, you tell yourself, and we are big fans of comedy, but like I found myself when I was doing the voting, it is so hard to be like, this comedic performance is better than this dramatic performance. Right. Even though that's important to us, even though we talk about it every single season, you it, like it's, it's hard to do. It just is. Yeah, and... Performances, I think performances are as hard as it is a little bit easier than the whole movie mm-hmm. just because you're trying to make me laugh, motherfucker. Like, who cares? Like, who cares what you're doing? <laughs> that being said, only I make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true, guys. I do. I really do. Um, it's, it's impossible to not go with Blade Runner here. Um, I know my vote doesn't matter, but uh, I did. I can't believe how long I thought about this one. Yeah. Tootsie was really, really good. I mean, that, that's my favorite part of the show is not picking a winner like the the best part of the show is all the movies we see that where you're like eh, i bet that's going to be kind of like average and then instead it kind of blows you away and yeah. tootsie pretty much blew all three of us away mike greg likes the watching of the movies more than the pitting them against each other and ranking them mm-hmm. is that weird like for a pussy i guess <laughs> <laughs> all right we're gonna take a break when we come back it's the first moody of the year well that is very very funny or very sad And perhaps now you have something to think about. Or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. 
So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at your pop filter. Email contacts at your pop filter. Hey everybody, keep watching them movies. Gentlemen, the first award of the night is best supporting actress. For every award tonight, I'm gonna throw out a not nominated and a new wrinkle this year should not have been considered. Why are Ooh. we even talking about that? <laughs> um, Why don't real award shows do that? <laughs> so, Mike, not nominated was Zelda, Zelda Rubenstein from Poltergeist. Yeah, she's not going to make this one. I, I do think, that, like, genre film and she's a slightly comedic role in the genre film. And that is part of why I, I think she was my number one. Uh, I knew our ballot's supposed to be secret. Yes. Uh, so she was somebody's number one that I heard of. <laughs> Good one, and, dude. Because I think it's, do you understand your movie? And even though she she's the Alec Baldwin level of in and out of that movie, like she gets that movie more than fucking anybody else throughout the rest of the movie. I think it comes down to screen time. Also, I think that people call her Zelda Rubenstein, but her name is actually Link Rubenstein. So, <laughs> uh, Mike, also, why were they even considered Candace Bergen from Gandhi? That you just weren't all about this? Why were they considered? Yeah. They should not have been considered, I guess. She, well, she sure did show up at the end of the movie and was physically there, but did she do anything of note? Yeah, this is like actually a hard to remember performance. Like she pops up in the movie and you're like, oh yeah, there she is. And then you just like, I'm not listening to anything she's saying. Your Candace Bergen fan club is going to be pissed at you. And I love, everybody knows Mikey loves Candace Bergen. You're a Berghead. I watched. Uh, Miss Congeniality and Gandhi in the same week, my friends. <laughs> and uh, as a ten-year-old, knew every character of Murphy Brown. Of like I watched the shit out of what that. What ten-year-old show. boy doesn't love Murphy Brown? Uh, oh, look at all those <laughs> political news topical references. Uh, I, I'm a Berg man, but no. Your first actual nominee, Mike. What a, I feel like I'm in the hot seat. <laughs> is Drew Barrymore from ET: The Extraterrestrial? Look this kid was going to be a star how lucky are we that she was i know she had a rough patches but she started here, oh yeah probably it ruined it, her life in uh, several ways but was she have you seen her crying at breaking drywall in her new home like she she is living a joyous amazing life because of this role now and so this is sure there's dark ages right but she crushes it she is a natural actor but her dark ages are from when she was like nine yeah. to when she was like 29 everybody's on their own yeah path. we're talking to mike here so, so mine are also <laughs> yeah, pretty, I guess that's pretty yeah. parallel you would have a lot of good stories to share with her uh, oh we i think me and drew would be friends uh, but she, as a what four year old, like gets comedy, gets yeah. drama, and gets she's like TNT. Terror. Like she is TNT and USA Dynamite. all wrapped into one. Greg, is she only getting this Moody nomination because of her last name, the famous Barrymore acting family? <laughs> no, I think it's it's because even as a little kid, just like what Mike said. I mean, um, you see so many child actors who are so kind of broad in their performances, and it's because learning that nuance is part of being an actor, and it takes a while for most people to learn it, but. Some people are naturals, and she really is. And E.T. would stink if that little girl were not a good not actor. Yeah. Him all the time. <laughs> she, if he were just like the weird dried the one. E.T., I think Reeks. drier he is, the more he stinks. And that's unique. That's Usually it's the that's other way. That's, that's how you know he's stink, a turd. Because I'm flaky as fuck all the time. <laughs> uh, you're proud of it, you weird I am. I just love it. Like, get your lotion away from me. I want to keep my flakes. Uh, Greg, the next nominee for Best Supporting Actress is Phoebe Cates from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, I think the uh, it's easy to be like, 
to minimize her performance mm-hmm. in this, but uh, part of what we talked about with when we talked about Ridgemont High was how much heart the movie has, and she's a big part of the reason for that. Um, so, like, except for one shot in the entire movie, she is such a young, like, impressionable, trying to figure out the world figure throughout the entire movie, and it's this movie is wrongly remembered as just a sex romp. Right. It, it's really about... It's barely a romp and barely sexy. Also, man, like, modern kids don't have sex anymore, so it feels really weird to watch a movie about high schoolers having sex, because high schoolers now just and play all, video games. All trading stories and tips. And it's... Well, as a 15-year-old watching this, I did not get what a funny character she was. Mm-hmm. And now as an adult, what a subtly funny... Ca- she doesn't get the big sp- Spicoli yeah. moments or even Brad jerking off in the bathroom moments. But she is so funny for how confidently dumb she is yes. throughout all of it. And she does not wink at all at that, it. It's that because even if you're watching this for the first time, the way she does it is you know she's full of shit. Yes. Yeah. But she's not like telegraphing that. She's... She's just she she's so full of confidence that you believe that Stacy believes every word that mm-hmm. she says, even though because you're an old man watching this, you don't. And yes. that's I think impressive. Greg, the next nominee is Terry Gar from Tootsie. Yeah. This is the the as soon as I saw it was best supporting actress, I was excited because Terry Gar. I've seen her in a few things, but she steals the show in this movie. There's like she has probably the three funniest lines in the entire movie. Um she's like even way more lost than Dustin Hoffman's character is in this and, and trying to find herself. Uh, and just so much heart and so much of it is Terry Gard doing a lot of work to breathe that yeah. into the character. And it's not even like that she vacillates between slapstick and sentimentality. She does it all with each punch. Yeah. Like, to be able to do that, it, it's crazy that she wasn't a massive star. And I guess like she isn't traditionally Hollywood attractive and that's why she didn't like blow up more. But everything we've seen of her... Everything we've seen her in, but especially Tootsie, she crushes. Yeah. You know what, too, is uh, what's weird is you wouldn't think this because of her t- sort of short reign as a star. Mm-hmm. Um, I, although I, I think I read that she was like a talk show just giant. Like, oh, I if, if you if somebody dropped out, you fucking call Terry Gar. She will be there and she will kill. Um, but she has a persona. You know, she, yeah. it's not that she's a bad actress or she's like two dimensional, but. You call Terry Gard because you want that Terry Gardness in your movie. Yeah, kind of awkward. We saw mm. that Will Smith rise to start with that. We saw fucking Michael Sarah be like a lead for a while in that. Like, it, she's a woman in the '80s, and so she did not get bigger. What's bullshit is that she lost Best Supporting Actress in the Oscars to Jessica Lange from this movie. Mm. Jessica Lange should have been best nominated for Best Actress for this movie, but Jessica Lange was nominated for a different movie for Best Actress this year. What so, was the other movie? Francis. Yeah, f- the she... sequel or the prequel to Francis Ha? Yeah, all you do is add one word to mm-hmm. every movie. To make it a prequel. Uh, Francis Farmer, the Nirvana wrote a song about her. Fucking Farmers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jessica Lang took this award from her at the Oscars, I believe. She didn't win it, she just took it from her. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Uh, Greg, the next nominee is from Victor Victoria. It's Leslie Ann Warren. Oh, yeah, I love Leslie Ann Warren in this. The kind of Harley Quinn uh-huh. sounding. Oh, for sure. um, sort of learning about the world. Her, like, sort of conversation with Toddy. where learning learning what it means for a man to be homosexual. And I, honestly, one of the, the moments of the movie that really stuck with me was, like, uh, she's like, I can never give up men. And Toddy's like, same here. <laughs> and she, the, you see her, like, totally get it. She, oh, she, she, oh, that's what it means for a man to be gay. And you have to remember, in the in the 80s, there was a lot of talk about, like, if 
that if a woman thought you were gay as a guy, she was like way more into you for whatever oh, yeah. reason. Nothing drives women more yeah. randy well, than a gay man. Because the eighties taught us that they're just one good screw with a girl uh-huh. from turning forever, right? But t- like Toddy is able to to go right through that, and then her performance about like how great Chicago is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really like I uh, except for Terry Gar, I think she was like closest to my heart this season. And like Terry Gar, why didn't Leslie and Warren like she crushes in this and she crushes in Clue? She should have been huge. Well, Clue, she's totally outstaged by everybody. <laughs> no, by oh. what's her name from Plus Blazing Saddles? Flames. Flames. Yes. In my version, um, she she went to jail at the end, so probably oh, she, she was. I uh, haven't seen the Greg edit yet. Yeah. Uh, Mike, Drew Barrymore, Phoebe Cates, Terry Gar, and Leslie Ann Warren, four actresses that stole their movies be- mostly because of comedy and their yeah. delivery of one-liners. Your final nominee tonight is Sean Young from Blade Runner. And she never showed up in a cat suit in Blade Runner. No, yeah, that was... <laughs> this is why people kept liking her for then. Yeah, not funny at all. No. Uh, I think... Rough. <laughs> <laughs> rough. I think doing uh, Born Sexy Yesterday is hard to pull off. Uh, without feeling shallow, or like doing a Marilyn Monroe, yeah, and she does not do that. She she is so like she is brand new to the world. Looks around, and goes, "This is bullshit," and that is not what Born Sexy Yesterday characters tend to be like. Plus, she was able to do that thing with her eyes. What thing? The that, little orange flashy yeah, that's, thing. That's acting. It yeah, was a bi- she could do that naturally. It was a big year for charting whether or not you saw a little bit of light in somebody's <laughs> eyes. 1982 was all about. Did I see a flash of light there? Uh, but I, I think to, for like wooden on purpose. Yeah. But still oh, yeah. so compelling. You know, and I, it takes multiple viewings, I think, and depending on which version you watch, to realize that Harrison Ford is wooden on purpose. Mm-hmm. Not with Sean Young. Like, you get it. Like They're she, robots, folks. Yeah. But also, oh. her, like, running out of the room when she realizes that, yeah. like, not doing a scenery-chewing, yeah. like, freak out, mm-hmm. but just the way that she handles that, uh, definitely. In uh, headcanon, she runs out of the room and then just finds a hanging engine block on a chain and just punches the shit out of it, being like, <laughs> I am a robot now. I always <laughs> imagine she just ran out and opened up a can of oil and just chugged it. <laughs> glug, glug, glug. So, Mike, you're saying that it's a Street Fighter 2 bonus round <laughs> where you just had to beat the engine up? Man, and I the hated fun. those. Yeah. That was, like, What's no fun point? at all. <laughs> all right, gentlemen. Those are your nominees. Drew Barrymore, Phoebe Cates, Terry Gar, Leslie M. Warren, and Sean Young. Gar, Gar, Let's see Gar, who it yeah. is. What are we? Uh, GPS from... The early 2000s? What yeah. We're Garmin, okay. is what I, I say. You're Garmin. That's good. Now I'm going to open you up like the envelope. <laughs> you know I appreciate a lot of runway. I'm like the end scene of Fast Five. Fast Six? <laughs> Terry Gar from the hit movie Tootsie. Terry Gar, yeah. Okay, this is the <laughs> least surprise. Okay, I know this is the most unpredictable night in Hollywood, but this is the least predictable part of the most, this is the most unpredictable, predictable predictable night. This moment of movie of the year. Right? Did anybody have any doubt about this? I'm like... I would put money on Terry Garbine in the Pop Filter Hall of Fame by the end of this show. Yeah. <laughs> because of After Hours and Tootsie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and honestly, I looked it up last night. I looked it up on Letterboxd, and there's a couple of movies. Does she have good reviews? Does she write good reviews on that? <laughs> She's so good, yeah. <laughs> but it's all in that voice of just like that I'm upset and I'm screaming. Um, <laughs> Rashomon review. Did I see the same movie as everyone else? <laughs> I'm not sure how many more movies she's going to get in here. So, But she can still make the Hall of Fame. We do what we want. Uh, your, next, <laughs> your next award is Best Supporting Actor. I don't have a why were they considered for this. Yeah. I do have a not nominated. Okay. And I'm going to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> I was shocked that I know that there was issues. 
I know that he, at some point, some point seems like he's in a different movie. But Sean Penn not being nominated for Fast Times, guys, is this? Are we being for real here? I, I guess that's a little shocking, but in a movie that's so comedic, his is a different flavor of comedy and is so broad that I could see. Uh, society's comedy sucks worming its way into our gray matter i have to out myself i mean i've always hated this performance yeah like it's the most basic stoner performance of all time it's way too far over the top in a movie that like does a pretty good job of capturing like the real rhythms of high school this is like you went up to somebody who had never smoked pot and said could you like affect a stoner personality this spicoli is exactly what you get and i just but are you forgetting kids in high school who decide that this is now who they are? Because I do feel like I knew Spicoli's in growing up in Southern I, California. B- high but school. are you saying like did this set like people back on yeah, stoners dude. for decades? Probably, like, probably. He I saw mean, Cheech and Chong and went okay, and then he saw Spicoli and went no. All right, but I get that. But may I remind you when he meets Mr. Han for the first time, Mr. Han is dressing him down, and he just disregards Mr. Han and says, "Hey, I know that guy." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fucking cool. It's the teacher of the class. <laughs> oh, no, wait. He says it to he one of the kids in the background. Yeah. At a high school he's been at I for go to the years. same high school as that guy. <laughs> well, let's just see who was nominated. That makes, me, that makes me laugh even more. Like, over Sean Penn. You know who was nominated? Wilford Brimley from The Thing. <laughs> we are just... we're I, Apologist seems like the wrong word, but that mustache hypnotizes the three of us specifically. There's and, one second where this nomination makes sense. Is it him in the shack? No. Oh. Okay, no. That is clearly why he got it, right? Yeah. Because we're running clips for our audience right now that are on the veranda. That's the clip that's going. Yeah. But the re- the way he got nominated was somebody is on the lower parts, and they don't. he's been gone forever, and then Wilford Brimley just shows up yeah, behind dude. him. But he moves like a sprite alien, but it's fucking <laughs> Wilford Brimley. Yeah. It's golden. They really, like, it's against casting to have Wilford Brimley in this role, especially yeah. because the monster does so many scary things as Wilford Brimley. <laughs> He's not mentoring anybody. And again, they had him shave his mustache. Like, such a bold that move. Who weird. does that? Like, why do you bring in Wilford Brimley if you're going to have him lose the stash? To unnerve everybody. Yeah. Well, he was. Wrong. We looked this up when we did the thing episode because we just assume Wilford Brimley has been in every movie since the dawn of movies. Yeah. He was not famous at this point. This is, is he pre- like 22? Is he one of those weirdos? <laughs> uh, he had diabetes. <laughs> this is pre-cocoon. This is pre-diabetes. Uh, Mike, let's keep going with this. Another person from the Thing Ensemble. Oh, sure. Who do you think it is? I think it is uh, Keith David. Keith it's David. Keith David. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, buddies. We, we love Keith David. The, now, here, this is another potential. Like This guy is, I think, going to end up in the Pop Filter Hall yeah. of Fame. Especially because... That voice. Well, like, I, Ryan, you're a bit of a gamer. Like, he's a big voice in video games. Uh, like, yeah, huge characters. Like, from um, Mass Effect... Like he you he pops up all the time doing a, the same kind of voice. Well, when you have a voice like that, why but he was in the thing guess. community. He comes in to He's replace a Chevy, Chevy Chase, Chase replacement yes. than Mike Ermintrout. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that. Think about that. I don't know how this guy wasn't a bigger sex symbol because like young Keith David is he bald in this? Is he shaved head in this? In I my head, so. he is. He's a fucking smoke. Another show. John Carpenter movie. They live. He's the second. Yeah, uh-huh. and he's fucking amazing. John he's, Carpenter saw what the world did not. He's the guy who fights Rowdy Roddy Piper for fifteen yes. minutes in the alleyway. The longest fight scene in movie history. <laughs> I think so often the hothead is an annoying character, and no matter what, you're against them, even if they're clearly right. And the, I don't know. There's something about him that I'm like, look, I, I've fallen 
in love with Kurt Russell's eyes, but Keith David has some good points about this movie, even though his points oh. are kill everybody. <laughs> no, I think there's some definite race things going on because he keeps saying the most logical plan, mm. but he says it as an angry black man, right. and that turns everybody off. Well, he's yeah. a little loud when he said that, guys. <laughs> Greg, your next nominee for Best Sporting Actor is Rugger Hauer from Blade Runner. Wow. Uh you know, part of what I really respect about Blade Runner is everybody remembers that Blade Runner is really cool. And Blade Runner is really cool. <laughs> hey, guys. But, it is. Uh, it wouldn't really be an adaptation of a Philip K. Dick story if you didn't embrace the fact that it's also super weird and really silly at times. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Rutger Hauer was the person who most got the memo that, like, listen, you're Roy Batty. Like, you are a bad guy, and you're going crazy. You're a baddie. You're batty. Like, it's just a hell of a name. You know what the two of them remind me of, since you said that? It's like watching Bob Hoskins and Roger Rabbit, when you watch Harrison Ford and Rutger Howard. Like, <laughs> yeah. you think they're from two different right. worlds, uh, but t- the two of them together are amazing. And it's like, he's going crazy, because like I, all of the things that we have to deal with being mortal... He has to deal with those in like four years. But on top of that, he's actually starting to fall apart. And so right. he's going crazy because he's like disintegrating. And Riker Howard does a really good job of like bringing both of those into the same place as being like a philosopher warrior, mm-hmm. right. you know? And he has the the most famous lines he's in the entire movie. You wouldn't believe. He's seen things you wouldn't believe. Harrison Ford's nutsack when I visited his trailer. <laughs> and Harrison Ford says to him, show, don't tell. Like, why are you just saying this right now? Uh, yeah, like, th- the way that he does it. And we're going to talk about a, someone who... Remember might... when he forced his head through that wall, yeah, Ryan? That's that was an like, ad lib. That's but Looney Tunes right there. There's so much of the, the, the his monologue, and you're like, oh, yeah, I get why people like him. It's the head through the wall. You're like, no, this man is a star. Yeah. Wait, his line was ad-libbed, or... The, the driving his head through the wall. Yeah, he made up... <laughs> and that was Tile, if you remember. Uh, all right, Greg, your next nominee is from Tootsie. It's Bill Murray. You know, we are accustomed to seeing um, great Bill Murray performances. Did you guys even know he was in the movie no. before you no. put it on? I had no what idea. A delightful surprise. I had no idea. And then, like, within 30 seconds of his being on screen, he delivers, like, one of the funniest lines in the entire movie. But it's not that, it's not the fact that his performance is so funny, which it is. It's that he actually grounds the movie in a very realistic space. Like, hey, I'm kind of disturbed by what you're doing. And it's not just because you're dressing like a woman. It's because, like, you seem to be having, like, dissociative moments right right in front of me. And, like, we need to talk about how, like, it's not totally healthy what you're doing right now, all while still being Bill Murray. He's still laconic and, like, detached himself. But it, it also, at the same time, has this New York thing and this movie thing of, we don't have time right now. We'll talk at some yeah. point, and they keep pushing that conversation. <laughs> and then the finally, movie. being like, you know, you've kind of forced me out of your life, and yeah. you haven't really like pursued our mutual goals, and I'm done. And I don't think yeah. you've seen a lot of Bill Murray being like, I'm gonna have to draw a boundary here, yeah. and be like, I'm gonna take some time for myself, or just being a real person, actually, instead of yeah. just a punchline machine. He has become like such a caricature of himself, and then a caricature of that caricature. This is before all of that, yeah. and it's Real really life, refreshing. He just shows up at people's weddings. Yeah. And says, nobody will leave Well, us. no, that's the thing. Like, he, I mean, I think he's kind of like, in being so salt of the earth, he has caricaturized himself, even in reality. This movie is just him performing, and it doesn't have the weight of like, you know, even the movies in the late 80s had already, like, he had ossified as something, and this is before that, and it's exciting. If I saw him in real life, I would just say to him, 
do not take my fries. I want my fries. I don't <laughs> yeah, care honestly, about the story. Dude, like, I'm happy. Murder you, Bill Murray, if you touch my fries. I'm happy to see you, but don't approach me and like take my... like. And people will believe me. Like If I told people yeah. right now, I was at a Chicago bar, and I was having some fries, and Bill Murray came and took them and said no one will ever believe you, someone would be like, oh, yeah, I heard he does that. <laughs> so Get just don't touch shtick, my fries. Bill. Yeah. I, I just I really like fries too. I like Bill Murray. I like fries. Although I'll buy you your own fries. I Bill. do have to say, I recently saw him. He's like a, a, a golfer, and he's always in these pro ams where he, like they put a, a celebrity with an actual pro golfer. And I watched him. He had a putt that was about four feet, and he just walked up to it and without looking, this. shot it backwards directly into the hole. What a and dickhead. <laughs> I have to say, all these things we've been saying about him being a character of himself, this is an example of that. <laughs> but damn, it was still really cool. There's a little bit of a natural magic that he has, though. Yeah, that's yeah. a skilled caricature, though. Like, that's yeah. not easy to do. I mean, if he had missed, like, maybe he's done that before and he's missed it, but, uh-huh. like, it was so true. And then he was just like, and then he, like, threw the putter and walked off. Mike, uh, we have Keith David nominated, Rugger Howard, Bill Murray, and now Robert Preston. Do you just want to tell Wilford Brimley to go home? <laughs> like, he's so fucked right now, he, right? Yeah, Brimley, we love you, baby. But Robert Preston. I'd is like to stay in the studio, Victoria. please. I feel Robert, fine. Robert Preston, I'm so glad you said Victor Victoria, because uh, that is a man I. Harold Hill in my. Right. That's who he the is. Toddy Barnes in this, or Toddy something? Toddy Barnes. Uh, do I have to just keep saying this for supporting actors and actresses? Uh, the fact that he wasn't a bigger star. The amount of, like, of course he owns Paris in this era. He is the most interesting person on screen at all times. I don't know enough about his career. Because all we know is the music man in Victor Victoria, right? right? Yeah. See, he had to be a theater guy. But do you feel a little bit like Blake Edwards is doing a little bit of a Quentin Tarantino thing of, I'm going to take this person from my youth that I loved yes. and give them the job of their life? For sure. Yeah, and, but and he delivers. I mean, it, it and the way he encapsulates, like, sort of, I mean, at this point in his life, he's a washed-up actor when right. he's in this movie, and he is portraying that. And and we love as an audience, we love that oh, shit. Yes, man, this is mirroring life. But you know, Mike, you said something uh, on that show that I thought was really smart, and yeah. I can say it now because we're uh, <laughs> no, no one's points. getting points. But um, <laughs> you said that uh, he never lets anybody see him crack and then but he had you see as the audience these moments where you can see like he's like this fucking sucks dude i'm an old washed up queen and like my life's falling apart and i don't have anything and like but then the second somebody is with him he's comforting that person he's like entertaining that person well he it's his job it's his onus right to be that person to everyone he meets but also it allows him to never think about how shitty his life is right. yeah. so he just has to keep moving like that and like he is an entertainer and like regardless of how successful you are if you are an entertainer you just do it until you're done <laughs> do you hear that mom <laughs> I, I want to point out that both Tootsie and Victor Victoria with their premises could have all gone down without Terry Gar, the Terry Gar character or really the Robert Preston character as it was somebody else could have talked Victoria into becoming Victor right. but what they created in this movie that it wasn't necessary, but allowed them to. Like, Robert Preston just walks away with this movie. Yes. And, um, like, the scintillating dialogue is so fun. It, yeah. It's yeah. very stylized. And so it takes a little bit to get into mm-hmm. because it has kind of a real vaudeville. I mean, da-da, there's like. Da-da, da-da, da-da. Yeah, yeah. Th- this movie, Victor Victoria, is kind of a shout out to bad 
um, hacky entertainment and how that's still beautiful and wonderful. And he but he occupies he occupies that space very effectively. They're performing it on the stage while they're performing it off the stage. Yes, yeah, and that's what like what his he encapsulates it so well of like there for him there is no off stage mm-hmm. until he's exactly. alone. Yeah, and some people looking at himself in the mirror would say. That's not helping. That's such a weird thing. But at least three people I know are like, yeah, this makes total sense how to be in the world. I mean, remember when uh, Victoria was at his house and the, you know they were like getting in from the cold. Uh-huh. This was the night they first met and just, please don't leave. And he, yeah. he pitches it as like, because we're so good together. We're like, if people were watching this, they would be loving this right now. Yes. But really, it's like, right. if you leave, I will be alone with myself. And then it all comes out of me. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny that, you know, um, their their relationship is not romantic, but it has sort of like the arc of a romantic relationship. And how funny, like that first night they're together, they just like cling together and they yeah. can't leave each other. I mean, it's that exact they, I mean, they shoot right to old, old friends. Yeah. And... All right, gentlemen, your nominees are Wilford Brimley from The Thing, who I did, he did go home. He's not here on the brand He anymore. left, yeah. yeah. I thought he ripped off his mustache, mustache <laughs> threw it on the ground, on it. stamped it out like a cigarette. But the other four are still here. Keith David, Rugger Hauer, Bill Murray, and Robert Preston. Mike, who wins uh, Best Supporting Actor? Those wonderful ADR. The envelope, please. <laughs> I don't know what that was. It is Rutger Hauer from Blade Runner. Ew. I was a little scared that Terry Gar was going to somehow win this too. Yeah. So, congrats to Rutger Hauer. Uh, he did it. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, let's kick another movie out. <laughs> Your number four seed is Poltergeist. Now, I asked you if number one for Blade Runner surprised you. Does this one? This one has to surprise you, right? Given the it? given the thumbprint that this has on society, is Poltergeist? A number four seed. It has because you think little? you think that the movie is. I th- I think it used to have a way bigger thumbprint. First uh-huh. of all, it is um, movie box royalty. Like everybody <laughs> sees it. Like you know, um, and it's ta- like quote royalty. It's yeah. It's tagline. The quote. It's got all of these different elements that were very popular. But the the problem with Poltergeist is that it doesn't hang together and that's why I don't think it's had quite the lasting impact. But I think if you say 1982 movies such as Poltergeist, people are going to be like, oh yeah. They're like, oh, Poltergeist. Yeah, definitely. There's the pizza that sings and you go, no, that's House 2. <laughs> <laughs> people are always saying things from House 2. Like, guys, that's it's, a different movie. It's a different movie than Poltergeist 1. I've never seen House 2. It's going up against your number 12 seed. And I will say, yeah, maybe there's another one that this could go for, but this is one of those like, all right, you got to fight from the bottom to be in the Elite Eight because we don't have that weird movie that not everybody has seen. It's Fitzcarraldo. Oh, yeah. It's If you don't know us, you're like, how did that make it in? And if you know us, you're like, oh, great, guys. <laughs> Classic you. It's, it's, it's two upper butts. It's the story is about the folly of man and hubris. The story behind the movie is about the folly of man and hubris. Like, that's our fucking cat. Do you guys think that Burden of Dreams is a must double feature? It it informs so much more of it. I, I liked watching Fitzcarraldo, but watching Burden of Dreams after, it meant that whole week I was in love with the story of the story. Of the sto- like, yes. I, yes, it's required. I have to say, I didn't, I didn't watch Burden of Dreams, but, like... I felt like you could tell watching Fitzcarraldo exactly what that documentary would be. You were making the documentary like. in your head. Cause, yeah, because I, I mean, it was when they were hoisting the the boat over the mountain. I suddenly was like, "Wait, he really did this? Like, this is not <laughs> these are not effects. Like, he's actually doing this." And like, I mean, so then you like then Burden of Dreams sort of unspools from there. Like, you just see it in your head after that. The fact that the natives turned to Fitzcarraldo and say, "Are you fucking kidding me?" 
wow, those actors turned to Werner and started like, are you fucking kidding me right now? All at the same time. strike for like nine months, like just didn't do it. I Look, I'm abashedly into director forward movies when I can just feel your musk all over your movie. Uh-huh. I like it. And this has to be the most director musky movie that we've watched maybe ever in the well, history of movie of the year. There. Yeah. So of course he's musk. It's going to make some musk. And it's got the Klaus Kaczynski uh-huh. performance, which is just... You can say magnetic. You can say like it's impossible to look away. But if you've never seen this movie, you this performance is in a league totally of its own, and it really like it just keeps you very much anchored in the movie. I do have a dream, and I know this is the burden of dreams, but I do have a dream where uh, Klaus and Rudiger switch, and how oh. different are those movies? I've seen. Stop things. thinking about it, Mike, and talk about it. But still, he plays believe. opera in yeah. Blade oh, yeah. Runner. That's, if, if you're not I've hooked, seen operas you wouldn't believe. <laughs> if you're not hooked when Klaus drops the phonograph in the middle of that party, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where your soul is. And then like looks at everybody like, are you hearing this? Are you hearing this great opera? Remember the episode of Parks and Rec where Tom Haverford saved a Halloween party just by doing that? Uh-huh. And it went very differently. When Klaus does it, it's, it does not work the same. And then there's a lot of little performances in it. it it's a very, very unique movie. But if you think 1982, and I, I know this is only one of the ways in which we think of this, but like, it's I th- I'd say it's definitely a better film. But like, except for movie heads, do people know about Fitzcarraldo versus Poltergeist? Like, I feel like everybody knows that. Name. I think I actually think that you could reference Fitzcarraldo in most groups, and people would know. Oh, Boat of the Mountain. I think that it is yeah, famous mountain in that one. Boat. <laughs> a lot of I think they're saying Mountain Dew. See, uh, this is so weird because like, I'm like. As we do this show, I'm sort of transitioning from movie dum dum to movie the show just that to you. just movie dummy. <laughs> you know, like so, like I, it's sometimes it's hard for me to tell what people do or or don't know right. about because I had never heard of Fitzgerald. It was like it was one of these where Ryan is like, I think we should, and then Mike and I hold hands and go like, Okay, we trust you, <laughs> throw it together. And then it ultimately turns out to be like a home run. But before this, like if you said boat mountain movie, I would have been like, Are you okay? That's yeah. serious? I heard yeah. of the doc before I heard of the movie. Like a director went nuts, they made a documentary about it. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, this is the uh what is it? Heart of Darkness yeah. documentary yeah, right? of its generation. Yeah. But Where you know it's going to be so wild that before you even go, you bring another film crew just to follow you around and go, man, look at what they're doing. <laughs> and I think in a lot of those ways, like what you're saying, Greg, it, the movie is sort of tame. You know, mm. you you think that it's going to be crazier just because you, you know you what's know going on yeah. around the camera is so much crazier. But I'll, I'll, I'll see your one factor is the 82 of it all and have people heard of it and I'll raise you. Uh, you describe the movie and... Or you've seen the movie? Which one do you want to watch again? Because I loved Poltergeist as a kid, and that like, and I liked the face ripping off more than you guys did, and it still scares me. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if I ever need to see. I could die and not see that movie again. Ultimately, like, it just doesn't come together. It's not one coherent thing. Like the fact that Zelda Rubenstein pops up for just a little bit. That's so much of what happens just pops up for just a little bit, and it's like, ah, don't worry, it all comes together. And I think this is one of the hard things about podcasts is uh, when we talked about Poltergeist, we kept talking about the amount of ideas, and uh-huh. we were very excited to have ideas well, to talk ideas. about. There's so many. It's an idea field, mm-hmm. but what might get lost in that sauce is it, uh, they don't all gel together, Execution. though. Like, there's not one hand or one mind making sure that they work together. Is it Tom, Tom or Todd? Tom Hooper? 
Toby. Toby Hooper and Steven Spielberg. It might be maybe you shouldn't have two directors that's, who don't really yeah. talk much. Is that, is that the lesson of Poltergeist? <laughs> maybe Too they many should cooks. At least talk a little. But you know, whereas like Fitzcarraldo, like there's that that scene where he goes and he talks to the guy that works at the at the railway. Yeah. And before that has happened, like he's he's mentioned the railway a number of times. Like it all comes together because we have one crazy, yeah, but one singular brain. Uh, I'll see both of what you're saying and then raise you this, Greg. Um, for the last six months, you've been singing Fitzcarraldo to the tune of Desperado. That's true. Can you do that with Poltergeist? This seems like a major knock against Poltergeist. Yeah, that there's I no song for it. Poltergeist. Um, it would be something like, I'm a poltergeist. <laughs> In a Barbie world? In a I big old vice. <laughs> House is haunted, but we flaunt it. Yes. <laughs> yes, I can, right? <laughs> My vote is for poltergeist. <laughs> I, I guess that point is moot. It's that, that one's taken <laughs> off the table. Um, yeah, I think that there's... Uh, this is this this one's gonna be a battle because of all of the different reasons why we choose movies. You know, like I think at this point, I don't know if we're going to talk each other into anything else. So mm-hmm. let's just do it, Greg. Where are we going here? I have to say, ultimately, I I love the idea of you know celebrating the nineteen eighty two ness of something. Um, maybe doing something really foolhardy uh, and endangering a bunch of people for maybe no reason is the most 1982 <laughs> thing you could do. That's both movies. That, feels, <laughs> that also feels pretty timeless. Uh, I mean, like, one killed a bunch of extras trying to move this boat. The other had a curse on it and killed all. Oh, that's true. Like, both of these movies were damaging to their crews. But ultimately, it's for me, there's like a borderline excitement that comes with Fitzcarraldo and like uh, like Mike said I'm excited to see it again um, I thought about it a lot more so ultimately Fitzcarraldo Mike Fitzcarraldo is that Desperado I think it was Canyon Arrow Fitzcarraldo <laughs> I, uh, I thought long and hard about Poltergeist I wanted to pick it because of Coach the Spielberg of coach, it all coach, coach. Um, you know I'm a like Mike is a Bergman I'm a yeah. Craigie T head. I yeah, love that guy. For sure. Uh, but no, we're going to move Fitz Corraldo past Poltergeists. Congratulations to Fitz. Up when we over come- Poltergeist, right? <laughs> when we come back, more awards. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to Pop Filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's yourpopfilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! Gentlemen, your next award is on-screen duo Greg not nominated. Oh man, I wasn't. No, you're just, just one two person. Gregs. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. I uh, not nominated was Michael and Sandy from Tootsie. Sandy is uh, Terry Gar. Terry Gar is not nominated what? in this award. That I'm is shocking. So- I'm sorry.
What? How did this happen? I, I thought they were. Know. I thought they were a shoe in. It's him. It's his fault. Yeah, <laughs> she's perfect in every way, and he's just screwing up. You know what it really is, though. We had a lot of good duos. There was within two movies, Night Shift and um, Tootsie. There were so Four many duos. quality yeah. duos. Mike, should they have even been considered? Steve and Diane from Poltergeist. The no. <laughs> I, get, I remember have to ask all those hard hitting Steve and Diane moments. Remember when they said, and then there's that time that. The movie, this is one of the ways in which Poltergeist is such an uneven movie. It seemed like they wanted to do something with them, like checked out parents, mm. and this is what's wrong, and or she's a stoner, age. and yeah. he's a... But it was just like, well, ultimately, we don't have enough time to really explore yeah. that. So, <laughs> anyway. have set pieces. Yeah. Um, Mike, the first nominee that actually got nominated was Chuck and Bill from Night Shift. Chuck and Bill are two leads. It's fucking Michael Keaton. Billy Blaze. It's Billy Blaze himself. And Henry Winkler, and why weren't they like Bob Hope and Bing Crosby? Bing Crosby, thank you. I was gonna say Burt Backrack. Burt, Bill Cosby. <laughs> why weren't Bob Hope and Bill Cosby in some <laughs> movies? But I feel like Henry Winkler and Michael Keaton should have had a string of movies together. Oh yeah, these two bouncing off each other was so great, and they could have uh, like Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster day, where if they switched the role every movie, who was the straight man? Who was all over the place? I think that they got the correct roles in this one. For this one, yes. Yeah. But if they did six movies together, wouldn't you want to see it switch it up? Uh, I have to. I have to say, watching this movie, you're like, okay, Henry Winkler should always be in these types of roles. But it seemed like for whatever reason, like he had been the Fonz, and then he was in this, and then kind of nothing for a long yeah. time. And then as an older man, he started getting the roles that he always should have been yes. cast in. Did you guys see that clip of Henry Winkler on like a red carpet, and the reporter said, hey, "Do you know that everybody's calling you a gilf?" And he's like, what? That's so sweet. And they're like, do you know what that means? He's like, um, God, I love Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> and they explained it to him, and he blushed so hard. Uh, that, that feels I so got to go real. fishing. I'll be right back. <laughs> I think we put him in the Hall of Fame on the Night Shift episode. Yeah, right? we got yeah. pretty excited. <laughs> uh, Greg, the next nominee is, we already talked about them, the Bob Hoskins and Roger Rabbit of the year. It's Deckard and Batty. Yeah, you know, they're not even in the movie together except for that one scene, but uh it like it's how all the th- the threads sort of come back together. Um and the way they're playing off each other and whether or not that that's a replicant and a human or a replicant and some totally new type of replicant. Um but I man, Terry Gar and <laughs> uh, not nominated. <laughs> am, I, am I reading that right? Like not romantic love, but is there a deeper love between two characters in 1982 than E.T. and Elliot? <laughs> no, those are bros. They bro down hard and quick, and nothing can separate them. They become, like, weirdly bonded. Yeah. yeah. Something, hey, do you prick E.T.? Does not Elliot not bleed? And vice versa. If he eats bad guacamole, does he not blow chunks? Yes. And it's a comedic duo it's a dramatic duo the, the, this weird wrinkly nutsack puppet and this little kid remember when they literally share a beer yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a lot like me and mike except both of us have to be drinking <laughs> but it, it, it captures wingman very well of i'm gonna get shit faced and egg you on to kiss that girl <laughs> i think that there's a lot of similarities between them uh and when we were talking about victoria and todd of just such fast friends and you believe it like yeah. they are just yes. they are dedicating their lives to each other they're both weirdos they love eating candy Mike the next nominee I wanted to ask you about because you had some feelings about this movie I believe this is their first nomination of the night it's Kirk and Khan who are never on the set together Khan. 
This is Star Trek 2, colon, The Wrath of Khan. Oh, good. Yeah. I was going to start talking about 48 Hours. Uh, <laughs> they, I mean, when you talk about Nemeses, I do think they are some of the best cinematic. It, it's not even the two sides of the coin. They Are there two John Adams heads on one coin? They are so similar. But isn't it about Kirk kind of like extinguishing that part yeah, of himself? He's, he's the, the, the two swashbuckly, super, the two sexy, sexual, I yeah, mean, in violent. In the rest of the Star Trek movies, is he forever changed because of Khan, or is that a little too much for this franchise to no, handle? No, come on. <laughs> he goes back to Kirk. And I mean, that. honestly, like it, it, as much as Star Trek Two is kind of like forget about Star Trek the motion picture it also kind of is like forget about the fact there's going to be four more more movies after this it's a standalone thing and part of it what it's about is supposed to be like him changing forever and then putting a lot of stuff to bed and then as they're making the movie they're like no wait instead franchise (laughs) that Spock's not gonna die he's gonna be alive forever I feel like the next movie that at least approaches his emotional journey is Star Trek Generations, where he is, you see him, because Picard gets lost in this weird time loop thing, and and Kirk is just, like, by the fire and happy. And Picard, who is not a swashbuckler most of the time, right? Like, he is a level-headed guy who's mellow. Picard's thing is he... Picard, when we see him, has already undergone the transformation that we see Kirk. Yeah. But he runs into Kirk, who's just like, I just drink wine by the fire now. And Picard's like, can you just do that? And Kirk's like, yeah, man, I'm pretty happy. Like, and... It, I, I understand that they're different generations in that they came from two TV shows, but uh, Picard as an actor, Patrick Stewart, who has looked 50 for 100 years, aren't they the same generation? Like, don't is one really see, come off as younger in that movie than the other one? I think so. Picard comes off as younger. His eyes still that. twinkle. His eyes yeah. still twinkle. And, you know, William Shatner got that rotundness. Yeah. And so, right. yeah. He got that rotundness, son. <laughs> Greg, the final nominee. Real captains have curves, Mike. <laughs> I already blew it, but it's Victoria and Todd from Victor Victoria. Yeah, I thought your uh, your intro earlier. I thought you were gonna be talking about them. Yeah, fast friends right away. Um, so nice to see a man and a woman that are pursuing a relationship, but it's like it's a friendship. Um, they bring out the best in each other. They're like the funniest moments in the movie are the two of them just like having their back and forth. They're so brutally honest with each other. I mean, she like confesses so much to him right away and they just really support and build each other up. And most strangers you meet in a restaurant do that to run away. They do not be like, you should sleep at my place. tonight. Yeah. (laughs) It's usually just, my God, what is wrong with you? And like, as a viewer, I, I think there is almost like the the podcast style parasocial relationship when the two of them are interacting and hanging out. It's like you're also kind of sitting there being like, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. And then they, they share that what was only for us viewers. They share that on stage at that restaurant. And yeah. they do their like, are we making the thing up now? <laughs> but also, I think they're both crazy enough that they practice that routine every night. And we oh, just yeah. didn't see it. <laughs> All right, nominees for best on-screen duo are Chuck and Bill from Night Shift. Uh, Deckard and Batty from Blade Runner, E.T. and Elliot from E.T., Kirk and Khan from Star Trek II, and Victoria and Todd from Victor Victoria. Greg, the envelope, please. The envelope, please. Rip it. <laughs> and the winner is Victoria and Todd from Victor Victoria. This feels right. This feels yeah, right. It really, I mean, like, th- what is this movie? It's a duo, yeah. and it, it, it's like, you know, this could be called Victoria and Todd. I mean, Jimmy Garner. Okay, okay, look, I love that's less catchy, duo, but nobody's right. going to go see Victoria. Yeah, nobody and wants to Todd. see Victoria and Todd. <laughs> We're going to take a break. When we come back, another movie dead to us forever. We'll never watch it. Round one, battle three. 
I would say are two movies that uh, influence their specific genres more than almost any other movie since yeah, my lifetime, let's say, you know, uh, throughout the 80s, 90s, uh, and so on. Um, the Let's see. This the first seed that we're doing is the twenty sixth seed. Whoa! Forty eight wow. hours. That's the first seed of the two. Of the two. No, I mean no, no it's not the highest of the two. Oh, it's the okay. first one we're talking I, I about. Uh, twenty six seed, forty eight hours. I don't think that shatters contacts record of being the lowest seeded in the elite eight, but that's fucking low. It's up there. Contact uh, contact was like thirty nine or something. Something like that. Yeah. I, I mean, this sort of created a genre all to its own, of which we all three of us have different loves in this genre you know whether you're a it might just be me but like midnight run last boy scout none of those could be possible without 40 hours creating this action but mostly comedy though like uh, we're gonna try you know i don't know how much you laugh at 40 hours but you can see that the attempt is there um does it suck to go back and watch the original version of you know the thing that kickstarted it all no i i think if you're a history like loving dork like me not at all. Uh, it's interesting to watch. But is it more like, is it more like, oh, I'm discovering the Beatles to see what happened with rock and roll, as opposed to I'm really digging this. I I dug it. Uh, maybe not everybody at this table. Yeah, I strongly <laughs> dislike it. I mean, I because I, I really dislike Nick Nolte in this. Um, but honestly, the the more time that went on, the more I liked um, Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. In yeah, it. especially near the end of the movie, like because Eddie Murphy's dealing is is like presenting a, a really kind of rounded performance at first you don't think it is but then you know over t- over time it is but and he was 22 or something like that he's something so insane. young in it yeah and you know the character is young too yeah and the, the character is like so much of the bravado falls away over the course of the movie mm-hmm. and is revealed to be like kind of a placeholder for his actual competency which rings true for that age yeah you can it's the kind of movie where you can feel him becoming a star because he's clearly given a four-star performance in a three-star, two-and-a-half-star yeah, script. You cannot stop him. You're right. And, and you know that on paper, there's no way that this character was even remotely as dynamic or three-dimensional. Well, we we saw the reversal of that in Ghostbusters where Ernie Hudson, who's great, we love him, but they run, and Eddie will be here and do something. Mm. Uh, and Ernie is not Eddie. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> that, that's such a weird thing, like, why didn't they put all four of them together at the beginning of the movie? Why did they have Ernie Hudson it's come so in halfway through? Weird. It's, it's weird. a bad movie, guys. If you go back and watch it, it's not that great. I think the answer is obvious, and it's just not comfortable to talk Grace. about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, Ghostbusters backlash is high. Like, I think stock is falling. I started it. You did I'm saying it here. It's all because of the Civil War ghost blowjob, isn't it? <laughs> no, I, that's the part I stand behind. <laughs> the I mic s- cut of the movie is just that scene, and over, then it's it just on loop. Uh, the 2016 version is funnier. Uh, I mean, neither one really focuses on jokes, I would say. There are jokes, though. and, and to the I think point. I agree with that. I think the 2016 one is funnier. Do you not remember all of us, a bottle of wine each in Minneapolis, okay. watching the movie's delightful? The wine? <laughs> we, uh, that's where, for dinner, I got a bottle of wine, <laughs> and then one of our other friends bought me something to eat. Um, we also would not have the horror genre, the sci-fi genre, the uh, just what happens on screen. The special effects world would not be the same without our number two seed, the thing. Yeah, I've resolved. Uh, part of what 1982 taught me is I have resolved to not complain about CGI anymore. I'm a big CGI baby. I always complain about it. Yeah. 
watching this movie, watching the 82 movies, I've been enamored of all the practical effects and they've looked so cool and not perfect, but pretty cool. Hearing about all the backlash about people saying that the effects in this movie looked stupid, it made me realize that what happens is you just get used to seeing really good pra- like effects, whether they be practical effects or CGI, and you want them to be better and better and better. And when they're not, you start to come, become a little bit of a baby about it. I will, and this might be like hoity-toity, things sound better on vinyl, but I will say that the the tact that. Tactilicity in your city of practical effects, even when they're bad, they're more fun than yes. noodly CGI. I never forget I'm watching a movie. Like at any point watching any movie, do I ever forget that I'm watching a movie? So it, when I see that it's special effects, and sometimes you can go too far with this, Mike, pulling your face off in Poltergeist. Uh-huh. That looks shit. Uh, yeah, like you just didn't land it in that one. Right. But like he attempted, and there's some stuff in the thing that doesn't look great. But, um, I I think this maybe this is my own bias, but I think as my appreciation and nostalgia for practical effects has gone up, the quality of CGI has plummeted. Yeah, and all of these houses, these I like how they call CGI houses in the same way they call like fashion houses or, or like yeah, like, drag or houses, like ballroom houses. Yeah. <laughs> um, all these houses are being fucking punished by all these studios because they're not unionized, and so it looks like shit. She Hulk looks like shit. She Hulk is the worst. It's it's a real bummer. That's it's like that's like city. Harry Potter one level CGI. <laughs> oh, man, the noodly guy on the ogre. Yeah, uh, that is burned at least the three of our heads more than anybody. Else. That's our go-to spaghetti man in a robe. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I, it makes me love watching movies when I see it. You yeah. know, when I see the practical effects and when I see incredible CGI. You know, like I I, I do think that we are as a nation we're going to have to come together soon and talk about Avatar a lot and sort of start to appreciate Avatar again. That's different. When I see the constant, you know, ev- every week brings another CGI-filled movie with terrible CGI. Right. It only makes me miss the practical Because more. you have, I mean, the, ultimately, it's the same thing with practical effects, too. You have to, like, gauge what the strengths are of the mm-hmm. effects that you're using. And the problem, I think, with a lot of CGI is they're asking, like, the whole background has to be CGI. None of the actors are together. Some of the actors are just like someone in a green suit that they right. totally like draw somebody over. It's just, it's a lot of leaning on CGI instead of, have you seen the Andor show? Not yet. There's a lot more practical effects in that. And so there's not so much reliance on building every element of the shot out of CGI. It's, it's a fascinating study you could take of Disney side houses side pieces i don't know like they're, they're subdomains of marvel is all cga all the time and it feels like new star wars is like well, we're gonna do practical mostly and then yeah. like, they the, the different that's a different show than what we're doing right now when, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but the marriage of the two though cgi and practical that's why nothing will ever look better than jurassic, jurassic park. park is just the goat yeah like, and i don't is, mean that little goat that got eaten by the T-Rex. No, that, that is was the, the goat. That was the goat. But then all of it is the goat. It, it's because it is the best of practical and the best of CGI, which is used as an enhancer, not as an only. Do you guys remember when Joyce Carol Oates admonished that disgusting man for hunting because it was Steven Spielberg sitting <laughs> in front she's of the crazy. triceratops? She, she's off her rocker, man. She lost her mind. Gentlemen, I love this battle. I think it's the not just the pinnacle of two genres. I think it's the introduction of two genres. Like These two genres would never be the same in, uh, without these two movies. Yes. But we do have to vote... On 48 Hours, a movie that Greg hates <laughs> and Mike thinks is fine. Mike, where are we going? Uh, 48 Hours is fine. I think people should watch it, especially if, if you love the Bad Boys franchise, if you are a lethal weapon defender. Uh, Last, not, Boy guess, Last Boy Scout. Last Boy Scout. There's not a lot of modern 
Rush Hour. Good ones. Rush, I love Rush Hour. Shanghai Nights and Noon. <laughs> uh, then you I should celebrate the entire <laughs> franchise. <laughs> then you should definitely. It's not like you're admonishing me. <laughs> yes, and Noon, Greg. <laughs> then you should definitely check out uh, 48 Hours. I think it's a good old fun time of the movies. Just acknowledging that it tries to deal with race in a 1982 kind of way. But come on, the thing. It's the GD thing. Listeners are going to think that Mike constantly mentions Shanghai Nights and Greg is always screaming, and noon. Don't and so, forget about Shanghai we, Noon. We cut that out every week. Yes, Greg. <laughs> we know. There's two movies, okay? I prefer to talk about Nights. Which is the sequel, yeah. which is yeah. a weird stance to take. And the worst. It's a Godfather 2 situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it showed what happened on their adventures plus the prequel, and it was all intermixed in. Greg, where are we going here? I am going to try to hate movies less in, in future seasons, Brave. but I did, for whatever reason, I really hated 48 Hours. And The Thing was like a movie I was a little afraid to watch um, and wasn't sure I was going to enjoy. And honestly, it was way more gory than mm. uh, than movies I, I tend to enjoy. But And some of that gore had teeth. Dude, <laughs> this is a basically a perfect movie. It doesn't give you all the answers that you want. Um, I don't think that there really is like answers for when somebody is the thing and when they're not i mean uh, like ultimately if you see them pop into the thing suddenly they are that's funny yeah, I, I mean, yeah. That's the thing. but it's a, it's a it's intriguing not to have answers um i thought about this movie more than almost any other movie th- from this season so this is for as as thunderous a slam dunk as it could be for the thing no ben Grimm. no in the movie was that weird it is weird that there's no ben but there was Ampetunia. that was an interesting <laughs> choice <laughs> Man, she, does she love her nephew? I, I mean, it kind of there was a Ben Ben Graham in the fact that the movie rocks. That is true. I our I think our biggest through line of the 1982 season is Greg has to watch two horror movies. Yes, yeah. and now that we're here at the you know in the second to last round or whatever, Poltergeist almost made it, yeah. and the thing is a slam dunk. I feel like this is a success. Yeah, yeah, for I sure. Mean, the, Greg had to watch these two horror movies and to real be, reveal behind the curtain, he, on his own, watched Nope recently. So Greg sometimes will watch... I mean, well, like, yeah, and I Jordan mean, Peele I s- gets a pass for Greg. Yeah. Eventually. It just takes a bit. It just takes it just takes a little bit longer. But yeah, I, I, like I'm excited I saw this movie. And yeah, I mean, seeing Nope, I felt like I was more prepared for it having seen The Thing. You know, I feel like it's a movie that those two movies are directly in conversation. It's it's the only movie I think on here that I saw for the first time and what a fucking blind spot. Like how many more conversations I can have with people now. Dorks. Mostly watch The Thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's mostly what I tell people. The Thing, congratulations, 48 hours. Uh, You did your best. When we come back, one last moody. Gentlemen, one of my favorite traditions every year is uh, one of you, or one of us, because sometimes I don't host, gets to explain to people how best villain is different from biggest shithead. Uh, would anybody like to take that on? I would say that, no, this is, oh uh, no, Ryan is the villain of movie of the year. Okay. I am the shithead of movie of the year. I uh, totally Greg disagree. Knew. Mike is absolutely the undercutting, evil, strategizing villain. I'm just a simple, basic country shithead. <laughs> okay, so maybe this is not a great definition. No matter what, <laughs> I'm the hero of <laughs> but the Greg, show. Greg is just a person who has to deal with these two fucks. I, I mean, what it really—it was very, very tough this year. Um, but what it basically comes down to is like if you were stuck in an elevator with a person. So not if they like who um, makes you say Ugh, the most. Yeah, exactly. Movie goers fall in love with villains. Your kills yes. mongers. Yeah. Uh, they will never fall in love with shitheads. I, I always use the example of Hans Gruber versus 
Coke snorter and make watch ha- I can't remember. But you know, also the Black Panther works perfectly because people watch that movie and they're like, Killmonger, pretty cool, but nobody says that of Claw right. or whatever. Claw is a shithead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um Greg not nominated was Jack Cates. Nick Nolte from Forty Eight Hours. I mean, I'm sure he's pretty up, pretty high up on mine. Uh, he's like one of these. This 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 kind of guy has been in the news recently. One of these guys who were like uh, say the n word in a story where the n word may have been said, but then he'll actually say it. Uh, just like manhandling people constantly, um, shooting first. Forty eight hours has so much egregious, really loud, nonsensical shooting, like. People just like firing into rooms without being able to Shooting see. First, never asking questions. Yeah, this guy is absolutely a huge shithead. The only thing that may be a saving grace, probably why he wasn't voted, is if you asked all of the people nominated, are you a shithead? Most of them would say no. He would be like, Yeah, of Hell course yeah, I am. Shithead. I look at, wake up every morning, look in the mirror, Nick Nolte. <laughs> um, Mike, it's weird that he ended all his life. Yeah, he's like a Pokemon. Mike, should they have even been considered? I have to stop. Asking you close any questions because you're just like no, and then that's what bad as a host to do. Um, the science teacher from ET. I don't even remember why I'm he was trying to remember. I guess he let Elliot kiss a girl. You know what it but is? What, why was he? I do he, not remember. Why he, he has the head. fucking audacity to be a teacher. So he tells them what they have to do. If they Teachers don't do it, he's like, please, heads. please do what you're supposed to. Nobody like likes a teacher at all. That's yeah, why this guy's a shithead. When when true story revealed behind the curtain. Normally, only the pay pigs on Patreon get these kinds of stories, but it's the finale, so we can do this. Do uh, the regular listeners even know we call our Patreon know. listeners pay pigs? Be a Patreon listener. Yeah, <laughs> you're still invited. Uh, if you're horny, if you got horny when yeah. Mike said pay pig, sign up for Patreon. Sign Patreon. up, yeah, because we say we a, said lot. a lot. Uh, years ago, when I was teaching some high school. Uh, I was complaining to my sister that they wouldn't respect me. My sister's like, why should they? And because I guess apparently in her head and a lot of people's heads, teachers do not warrant respect and they are shitheads for demanding it. I think for a lot of people, teachers are like the first cops. Oh, and that's I, mean, I was going to say. Jack yeah. Cates and the teacher, same job. Yeah. Fire first. Uh, Greg, your first actual nominee is her KK from Fitzcarraldo. Okay. See... I know we just explained what big a shithead means. I got very confused myself about this guy. Obviously a shithead. Also kind of like cool about it. Yeah. Like kind of like like uh, he uh, he shows up. This is the cook, right? Uh-huh. He shows up the the first day of work and he's like, these are my assistants. It's clearly two women two wives. that are kind of his girlfriend, but ki- like they're both kind of his girlfriend, but kind of also don't like him. It immediately causes problems. <laughs> and then also besides being the cook and the guy that brought ladies he's also kind of the translator also kind of like partially the navigator he well, also if you're gonna be a shithead have a lot of skills somebody else needs oh yeah cooking food is a good one um he also gets very pissed if one of his two girlfriends talks to everyone gets mad when the girls flirt with the sailors yeah but nobody more than her kk is like no both of you are mine meanwhile like what he does is he's the cook but they cook and he like tries to feel them up while they do it yeah that's an, that's where you get that flavor, that shame and unresolved anger in the soup. Man, if someone tried to touch me while I was cooking, <laughs> dude, it's on. But like more oh. concent- you need so much concentration. Yes, and there's like hot stuff right there, man. Don't even come near me Don't when come I'm near cooking. My hot stuff. I'm <laughs> dealing with hot stuff. I saw a tweet the other day that said something along the lines of the biggest lie movies ever told us was that it's romantic for two people to cook together. It's like, yeah, no, get the fuck Bigger away from me. Bigger fights than IKEA is cooking together. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, well, you really got to know yourself if you're going to, like, do that joint cooking thing. Because the problem is some people, people have different paces at which they want to yes. cook. And they're not always, I like... I want to put on my noise-canceling headphones yes, and forget yeah. about the world. I'm going to put on a podcast. And if you ask me a question, I'm going to overdramatically be like, what? what? I'm, so- I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I was listening to I something. I had to take but out no, my I guess AirPods. I'll pause it because you have a question. Do you like water? What are we talking about? What are we talking about? How about that? Uh, Mike, the next nominee is Mike Damone from Fast Times. What are other similarities between you and him besides the first name? Uh, Mike Damone, he he uh, pretends like he knows. He's the skeevy version of Phoebe Cates, where yes. he lies and acts. He wears the male fe- version. I he wears fedoras a lot. Uh-huh. Well, the male version is instantly more skeevier. Uh, he's kind of like the male version of Natasha Lyonne. Yeah. That he's got the accent. Yeah, he's got the accent, not the cool gruff voice though, or the. He's got locks. a little bit of it. Uh, yeah, he looks forty for uh-huh. all his whole life. Hey, I love being in this high school with all my buds. Uh, more similarities to me: great abs, winning smile. <laughs> By the way, I think Fast Times it takes place in the valley, and he's straight up like, "Hey, hey, yeah, he's, all he's my fucking got to move these papes. He's Mike <laughs> from Star Girl. I'm Santa New York and have no right to be." Uh, similar to younger me for sure is I would rather flirt and get the let, yes let's have sex than have sex because uh-huh. <laughs> the the power feeling that you get from that this his saving grace I would say is he's a kid mm. and he does not handle her becoming pregnant well at all no. but a lot of men don't what I love one of the things I love about this movie is that there's a whole montage where Mike Damone tries to de-demone yeah. by raising the money. And trying to get it so he can help. I think even just pay for half of the abortion. Yeah. Whole montage. We're here with him for like 15 minutes saying like, is Mike that bad of a guy? By the end of the montage, he's like, well, can't do it. Doesn't show up. No. Yeah. Doesn't pick her up. Mike DeMone, baby. Uh, Mike, the next nominee is Ron Carlisle from Tootsie. This is Dabney Coleman. And is Dabney Coleman the doctor? No, no, not the doctor that kisses. He's the director who ends up making out with Gina Davis. He makes out with Gina Davis. He's dating Jessica Lang. Yes. He's a two-timing fucking piece of shit Hollywood producer. Let me, uh, he's Dabney Coleman. He's what Dabney else do you have to Coleman. say? You guys all know. You kids who listen to us. Hey, Zoomers. You all know Dabney Coleman. He's doing the Dabney thing. He's got the stupid mustache. Your next nominee, Greg, is Tyrell from Blade Runner. One scene? Yes. Yeah. So this is like a high volume thing. But um, here's what the, the, the cool thing about Tyrell is like he's a stand-in for God. In the in the movie, and you know God's a shithead, and oh. he does a really good job being like weird and not being compassionate at all, and being really intense. Like for being a little old man, he's actually really scary, and it's not like he's in danger. He is not dangerous in this movie at, in the times that we see him, but he's still so weird, and he like the perhaps the weirdest thing about him he basically lives in trump's penthouse apartment right everything is like gold and well, that's, he's a stand-in for god but he, it's life it's art, for god. art predicting life is he, he is trump he is zuckerberg he is jobs uh because he's 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 he like in a movie about who's human and who's not to be that wealthy you are post you're not human you have like you have stopped being human you were like dune style you've become something but different. instead of being unhuman like batty and having a you know a deadline that's coming it like it sort of makes you feel immortal yeah you're yeah. he's a vampire and i think that he's the, a vampire because he has he doesn't have a soul right because yeah. he really has died in a sense i think the movie shows too that tyrell's in our world and we might just had a list like there's a million in our world Tyrells act that way because they they're banking that they will never meet Roy Batty. 
they'll never meet somebody who actually says, you know what? Fuck you, bro. Yeah. They're banking on the fact that everyone will be like, oh, okay, and, you know, kiss the feet. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, like, they... And he, Terrell, obviously has the same thing that they have, which is he lives, like, in a pyramid. Mm -hmm. He wants to be worshipped. And that's what these rich guys, these modern rich guys want more than anything else, is for us to think they're cool. They think they're cool. And it's just not going to happen. just disappear. Don't fucking try to paddleboard and show us your pictures of paddleboarding, Mark. (laughs) One of the craziest, like, predictive things, uh, or, like, that taught me how the next 20 years is going to go in the social network is, like, it's not, the money doesn't matter that much. Look at Elon Musk, man. I want to be, I want people to think I'm cool. Man, and you know what would be really cool if Jeff Bezos paid all his employees like yeah. a living would, wage, would, and he could just like do him. that. He could just do that. At that point, I'd be like Fonzie, Jeff Bezos. I don't even know hey, who's cooler. We gotta see right? him approach jukebox. <laughs> Greg, the final nominee is I. I was shocked by this nominee, but I love it. It's the waiter. I think one yeah. scene as well from Victor <laughs> okay. Victoria. Two. The, Two or this three. is another area where I felt like I could feel the expansion of the shithead because <laughs> when we. When, my favorite essay. Except for this season, it's usually been someone you definitely wouldn't want to hang out with. And I think you kind of would ha- want to hang out with a waiter, except here's the thing. This guy set out to be a shithead. Mm-hmm. He is, and honestly, keep in mind, he's a French waiter. Yeah. That's almost like a contradiction in terms. Like, I'm going to wait on you, and I'm French. And, like, he is so pissy, and he loves it, and he's yeah, such he a bitch, it. and it's he's so good at being a shithead, and he loves it. He chews on it. Mm-hmm. He has a perfectly scripted retort for literally every situation. Yeah. It feels like Tim Curry's uh, maitre d' in Home Alone 2 Lost in New York is based on this character. For those of you who have not watched Victor Victoria yet. Which, and that movie stars its own Tyrell. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump is in that movie. Your nominees for Biggest Shithead are Herkeke from Fitzcarraldo, Mike Damone from Fast Times, Ron Carlyle from Tootsie, Tyrell from Blade Runner, and The Waiter from Victor Victoria. Mike, the envelope, please. Let's see if that worked. Yeah. La <laughs> 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 <Did not> La Land. <laughs> Phil. Fill some time. Not only did I rip the answer in half, <laughs> it's also stuck, stuck in inside the envelope, oh, and then you pulled out the wrong. <laughs> guys, this is we're chaos, doing right? it live. I love, I love the backyard, the veranda era. Uh, this is Mike Damone from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, he really like he's not there at a moment for a character we care about so much. You know, what? I think that if because Greg, you said. Ultimately, he's a kid. Yeah. If they had cast a kid, like yeah. Jennifer Jason Lee. But he uh, talks like this. Uh. <laughs> oh, man, I got to go down to the meatball sandwich factory. Like, that's too much for us to bear. And where is this meatball? Oh, you're just making it up for the uh, yeah, bit. Sorry. Okay, sorry. Oh, that's why you're bending your boy. <laughs> uh, we're going to take one last break for this episode, and we are going to kick the final movie out for tonight. This is a battle according to seeding, because it's three versus six. Your number three seed is E.T., Colon, the extraterrestrial. Okay. Which does make the title of this movie Extraterrestrial, the Extraterrestrial. <laughs> does not bode well. Versus FTRM, colon, Fast Times at Ridgemont Mai. <laughs> Ridgemont Mai. So why don't we, we've talked about Fast Times all night. I think we barely talked about E.T., but why don't we talk more about Fast Times I think quick. we did say he looks like a dry nutsack. That's true, yes. And that he stinks the drier he gets. Yes. <laughs> on, the show, on the show Resident <laughs> Alien, uh, he called him a sexy potato. <laughs> Facts. Fast Times is a movie is one of the other movies from the bracket that I think raised a lot of my estimation. I had seen it before. Yeah. Um, but And the thing I've said over and over and over again about it is it's just it's such a caring 
loving, gentle movie, really. It is an artifact of a completely different time. And not in the way that we, we normally say that where we're like, it's offensive to us. Because it's actually not. In some of the ways that it is a holdover from another time, especially the way it handles abortion, mm-hmm. like feels like a more progressive time yes. than, than, like say, for instance, now. No, like today, and, for instance. Yeah. I bet the movie looks down on the... and the, I guess there's no actual Peeping Tom, but the the... The characters that would be a peeping tom that imagine Phoebe Cates just opening the, the characters like what the butt of the joke versus the American Pie, which would not exist without Fast Times, yeah. is like look at our little hero filming a girl take off their clothes without their knowledge. Yeah, the other, yeah. The, the other thing this movie taught me too is that I grew up on teen movies that were written by cynical writers who hate teenagers. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that came across because all of the characters. Their dialogue did not ring true because it was they were just uh, mouthpieces for the writers. Right, they didn't like resemble my experience or really anybody else's. And I feel like that because nobody who's cool in high school goes on to write a comedy exactly, about yeah. high school. You have yeah. no high school experience. That's why you're a screenwriter. Exactly. This I think captures it all in such a way. Even though the '82 is dense in this movie, like it is dripping with '82. It might be the most '82. It's also I think the most timeless. Yeah, the amount of montages, and normally you'd be like, well, that's a Band-Aid. Like, you're trying to fix it. Instead, it's like, no, they did this shit on purpose, the, and it works. They very intentionally, you know, made the movie in in, in the in the vein of the book, which is it's a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a year, and it's kind of a year more than it is a story. You know, like... It's at, vibes. Yeah, and yeah. but I don't... Uh, not in a negative way, no, but... No, no, no. But, but that just, is the kind of thing that, if you watch it for the first time and you don't know anything about it... You, it catches you off guard, I, and yeah. it sort of hurts because we 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 yearn for that you structure. And but, the second time you watch it, you're like, "Now oh, I get it. I'm just going to chill back." And because normally movies that are vibes that work are like McCabe and Mrs. Miller, mm. which feels serious. But this is about California teenagers, right? Think about the the audience for McCabe and uh-huh. Mrs. Miller versus Fast Times. You know, like that's two very different groups. The group that was initially wanting to see Fast Times might think like, "Well, why wasn't there this exact rom com step by step thing that happened?" Right. But what's also I like did that I don't think that existed right because there's like American Graffiti and then this so like that step but by that's step that's all vibes too yeah kids kids didn't know that they should be just served formulaic bullshit yet so Amy, Heck- Amy Heckerling was just like let's vibe it out and kids were like all right Amy let's vibe it out and I mean like so basically what you're saying is that we had these two great teen movies Graffiti and Fast Times and then people less talented were like well I have to put structure in otherwise yes. I don't know how to do it until Heckerling made Clueless Witches. More vibey it's than you think. Another year long thing. Yeah, it's, like, it's not that structured. No. Also, this is maybe the only movie from the bracket that really feels like it's set in the real world. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know, um, a, a lot of these movies are, are fun and, and we enjoyed them and we're going to say lots of nice things about them, but they're kind of set in fictive universes already. Like the thing, you know, obviously is. It, happened. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a movie that really feels much more realistic and grounded in reality and that's refreshing i don't know if it's going to carry it through but we talked about on the pod about fast times the couple of times where this doesn't happen like somebody getting covered in chewing gum there's a there's a couple or somebody opening their locker and like way too much stuff falls out yeah there's a few naked gun ish moments in an overall really grounded movie to keep comparing it to american pie the 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 gym character of fucking the pie or in the sequel super gluing his hand to his dick that scene in here is a guy just jerking off thinking about it and getting walked in on that shit happens if your name is mike gravano uh and so yeah it's it's very funny and totally believable and not like okay you stupid cartoon oh my god 
it's like urban legend that that Phoebe Kate scene is the most jerked off to scene of the 80s. Uh-huh. How many people got walked in on jerking off to the scene of Brad getting walked in on? How many people finished to Brad getting walked in on and they're like, oh, I guess my kink is humiliation now. I'm going to say a lot. Somebody told me they had a sexual, they actually had a sexual awakening while watching that scene. What I think is interesting is is that scene itself is the only time the movie dips into this Fantasy. sort of like fake yeah. realm. And it's just to establish that. Because you mentioned when you were talking about realm. Phoebe Cates, that's the one non-scene, right? Yeah, because, because if Phoebe Cates in the rest of the movie is a child. And then in this one scene, she is refigured as, like, sex goddess. But in context, the movie knows that. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, where, yeah. Where it is the out-of-context no, the world has broken it. It's Heckerling telling us that that this movie takes place in a real space, right. and then that also she is aware that there is this other space, which is fantasy, and that's usually where mm-hmm. movies and male fantasy are both kind of grounded in that same and area. And I could see it going either way, where it was, like, it was her idea, or her and Cameron Crowe's idea, or... I could see like pressure from the producers to get this one scene in that all teen comedies have. Like you got to show titty, and she was like, "If I have to do it, I will figure out a way where it still fits into I'll my shove movie." This titty down your throat. <laughs> what? How many kinks do you have? You <laughs> a lot. If we're talking about Phoebe Cates and sexual awakenings, when she describes finding her dead dad in the chimney in Gremlins, <laughs> oh man. What about her in Princess Caribou? Oh, that's my shit. You know, that's my shit. That is your shit. Everybody knows Princess Caribou is. It's going up against a different tale of puberty and awakening, E.T., which I don't know if that's about puberty, but if I say it, people believe it. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, he does look like a nutsack, though. That must mean it's a <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> and his head, like, grows on that stalk if he wants it to. Did Greg say, I'll give you $20 if you mention E.T. looks like a nutsack more than 20 times in yeah, this episode? Yeah, you bet that I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> E.T., the devil's nutsack. <laughs> Points. Uh, this is um, a movie where it's like, yeah, E.T. It's a great movie. And then you put it on, and you cannot remember how great E.T. is. Even though I just watched it for this show. Yeah. If I watched it today, the thing that you just said would be true. Yeah. It's the montage of the hits, are, and the rest of pop culture are too burned into our brain that it de-elevates how good the movie is. And not to shit on Toby Hooper, but... Poltergeist is a series of iconic scenes, uh-huh. and so is E.T., and one is just the iconic scenes and doesn't hold together, yeah. and it's amazing how well E.T. holds the together. The stitching together between those scenes and the side characters you forget about are... To tell the same story, different genre, right? Yeah. Family versus horror, but to tell the same genre of uh, families moving out to suburbia, thinking that they would be more included, and instead they feel more lost. Like It's the same movie, just wildly different ways of getting that story out one thing we talked about on the et show that i I think like is worth bringing up again is they haven't remade et they haven't rebooted et they haven't made a sequel to et and it's looking like they never will the one thing is that it was re-released and and there were some changes made to it obviously were controversial the ride at universal studio yeah but the ride is it you just sit on a bike in a room with like a TV, we're with a big movie screen. Yeah, and then the the, the bike kind of like goes up a little bit and it goes. But you know, I I think you can't underestimate, or you shouldn't allow yourself to underestimate how important it is that like, ET gets to just be this one thing. Like yeah. I just saw the most recent Thor movie. I love Thor Ragnarok. The most recent Thor movie sucks, and it kind of makes me like Thor Ragnarok less. Nothing else comes around to make you like. E.T. less. 
I'm sure we talked about this on uh, the episode too, but like, if there's anybody who is too cool for kids' movies, like, I don't know if E.T. is going to change your mind. You might just be a piece of shit forever, but. but there is also a huge difference, I think, between E.T. and Mac kids' and movies beforehand. Oh, well, there's a huge difference between E.T. and Mac and Me because Mac and Me is gold. Uh, <laughs> but between E.T. and kids' movies that came after, like, and not in the Shrek poop and fart jokes way and references way, something for the adults. It's the humanity is something for the adults and the kids in E.T. And modern kids' movies are bananas nonstop wall-to-wall insanity. Because of the TikToks and the YouTubes. Because oh, we're all very old. Are they still Snapchatting? Oh, yeah. Jesus. Every day. When will they stop? I don't know. Yeah. Kids on their MySpace. But yeah, I do think that Spielberg has made this movie in such a way where the thing for the adults all the stuff that they learn, you know, humanity, blah, blah, they're realizing it, but it's the same thing for the kids. They're just not realizing it. They're internalizing yes. it. And like it becomes a part of them, and it makes them a better person. That's how important I think this movie is. Versus he lost it, and then Goonies. Like, none of that shit is in Goonies. He no. forgot about that. That's Dick Donner. That's you know fucking Dick Donner. It's the BMX biking. <laughs> yeah, this that. movie features so much quality BMX and I biking. I gotta say, Spielberg knew how to shoot that, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's pretty exciting. Like, you, right as you go over a ramp, you become a 23-year-old dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought as a kid would happen. And I was like, where's my beard? <laughs> Do you remember when uh, Elliot's older brother landed and his wig came off and landed <laughs> right back on and he away? <laughs> Greg. And he voted real quick. <laughs> He's a responsible young adult. <laughs> Bought three lottery tickets and a porno. <laughs> Greg, one of these movies has to go away forever. It's E.T. or Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I really liked Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but again, a kind of a slam dunk. It's E.T. Come on. And it's not just like the, the reputation of E.T. It's what we were saying where it's like you think you can remember how good E.T. is within seconds of like it's just opening shots. Yeah. You're like, no, wait, this is so much more compelling than I remember. I don't think i was an et hater i was more down on it than the two of you and i think fast times is a movie everybody should watch all that being said et should move on et definitely moves on into our final four gentlemen we do have to take a week-long break so just so you know when we come back we're going to give away the rest of the moodies and we have three more battles it's blade runner versus Fitzcarraldo. it's the thing versus et and two of those movies will be the single greatest movie in the history of 1982. <laughs> for Mike, for Greg, I am Ryan, and please keep watching those movies. <laughs>